Hello, and welcome to the podcast for 613. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He, to, he told them, you also go and work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when those who came who were hired first, they expected to receive more, but each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. Those who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for grace. Thank you that is a gift. Um, I just pray that you'd speak loud and clearly to us through this passage today, that it wouldn't go in one ear and out the other, but that it would transform us. Um, And so we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. My name is James. If you guys don't know me, Danny's gone. He asked me to speak. I'm the middle school pastor here at Neighborhood. Um, And so I usually speak to people that haven't gone through puberty and have no attention span whatsoever. So if I do weird stuff up here, just please forgive me. So uh, I'm excited to be here. And uh, let's hop into this parable. So Jesus tells this parable uh, of the workers out in the vineyard. So it starts off and it says, for the kingdom of heaven is like. So he starts off with that saying, the kingdom of heaven. This isn't like any earthly kingdom. This is the kingdom of heaven. This is the kingdom of God. It plays by a different set of rules. It's radically different. Okay, so pay attention. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. Back then, people would start uh, at sunrise. They'd get out there 6 a.m. They'd be working. That's when Roman officials and soldiers, that's when their day would start as well. And so 6 a.m., this guy goes out and finds workers, hires them, and sends them into the vineyard. And they start working at 6. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them out into his vineyard. A denarius was uh, the, the usual day uh, wage. And so... Even the Roman soldiers would get a denarius each day. And so for the sake of the story and for us today, we'll just say it's 100 bucks. And so they agreed to work for him for the day for $100. About 9 in the morning, this man went out and he saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. And he told them, you also go and work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. It's a little bit different of a deal. And so they went. And the day is getting hotter. And the guys that have been working since six, they've already been working three hours. Uh, He goes out again and it's about noon. And then about three in the afternoon, he did the same thing. 
The day's getting hotter. Some guys have been working longer than others. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one's hired us, they answered. And he told them the same. He says, okay, you go work in my vineyard as well. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages. Begin with the last ones hired and then go to the first. So the workers who were hired about five in the afternoon, they'd worked an hour, came and they each received a denarius. They each received $100 for working one hour. And those who uh, had been working since six in the morning, they worked 12 hours, they saw this. And so they expected to receive more. Of course, this owner is going to be more proud. Uh, he's going to be more honored. Uh, he's going to love us more. And of course, there's going to be more pay if he's giving them 100 bucks. They worked for an hour. I can't imagine what we're going to get. They expected that. But each of them also received what they'd agreed to, a denarius, $100. And when they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. They're not equal with us. They worked one hour. We worked 12, and then you gave them the same equal pay. The landowner said, he said, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for Denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Business is not the driving force in this landowner's ways. I want to give you. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. And Jesus ends this parable with this kingdom of heaven rule. And it doesn't really compute in our, like, earthly minds. He's saying, so the last will be first and the first will be last. We can barely grasp about it because in our world, we love rules like you reap what you sow, you get what you deserve. There's no such thing as a free lunch. If you do that, karma's going to come and bite you in the butt. You know what I'm talking about? That idea, we love that and we can latch on to that. But this is just a whole different type of rule. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense to us in our fallen world, but Jesus says, he opened up this parable, he said, the kingdom of heaven is like this. And so he's giving us a glimpse, a window into what the created order was supposed to be like, what it was before the world fell, and what it's going to be like. He's saying, hey, the first will be last, and the last will be first. So two huge things stick out to me in this parable. The first is this, and we get this out of Romans 12, 15. It says, rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn, live in harmony with one another. Rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn, live in harmony with one another. And so I think we do a pretty good job of this with like the big picture stuff. Like when we hear someone comes to Jesus, we are so excited. It doesn't matter if they're on death row, we are so excited. When we hear the story of the criminal hanging on the cross... And he's hanging there next to Jesus, and Jesus forgives him, and he's in his last few breaths of life, and Jesus says, you will be with me in heaven by the end of the day. And that doesn't irk us, it doesn't get under our skin, but these little things, when we put ourselves inside of the shoes of maybe these 12-hour workers, we kind of, it gets under our skin a little bit. It gets under our skin. And so let me explain, I'm going to give you guys some examples. As a kid, it is nearly impossible to fall asleep on December 24th, 
You know what I'm talking about? It is so hard because for weeks, for weeks, you've been staring at those presents that have been staring back at you. And you've already mapped out how you want to open up each present because you're looking at that and you're going, that's probably a shirt. I'll start off with that one because I want to crescendo it into like the best present. It's probably that bad boy in this big box. And I know because I've told my parents over and over again, I've told them, this is what I want for Christmas. I want this for Christmas. And so December 25th rolls around. It's Christmas Day. I'm opening up presents. I'm so stoked. I wish it was Jesus' birthday every day because this is the sweetest deal ever. And as I'm going through these presents and I'm opening it up and my pile's getting bigger stuff and I'm so excited because I'm getting some stuff that I asked for and then I start looking over at my brother's presents and I start looking at their pile and I start adding it up and looking at mine and I'm looking at Josh's and I'm going, whoa, 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 he got three of those and I got two of these and that's way more expensive than my stuff. And I start getting disappointed At the end of the day, after my pile's totally full and all of my parents' hard-earned money and all the thought that they put into these presents, I can walk up to my room disappointed. I'm putting this stuff into my amazing room that my parents provided for me, and I'm grumbling. One of my brothers is hilarious. I hope Josh isn't here. Probably shouldn't even say his name. Josh is hilarious because Josh tells me this. He lets me know how much he spent on my Christmas present just to make sure that when I go and I buy his, that it is of equal or greater value to. And it's hilarious. And this just makes sense to us. This makes sense to us. But Jesus says, hey, I'm playing by a different set of rules. This is the kingdom of heaven we're talking about. This is how our human nature works. Uh, I went to Biola, and that's where I graduated from with my Bible degree. And so I had a blast down there. And I met my buddy. His name's Tyler. He was one of my good friends. And uh, Tyler was hilarious. And I loved hanging out with him. The nice thing about Tyler is that uh, we had to take this class, Greek, together. And Greek was the hardest thing I've ever done in my entire life. We had to take two years of it. And so we went through this, like, this battle together. And Tyler, the nice thing about Tyler is that his dad was actually the one who wrote all the Greek books that we use for our university and all the universities of the United States. Like, everyone uses his dad's textbook. So it was awesome because then we can call up Mr. Mouse and say, dude, hey, what do you, what's number three or whatever? And he'd tell us what's going on, and he'd, he'd clear it up for us. And so I love that about it. But the thing about Greek is that you have to do a lot of memorization. And so Bill couldn't help me out with that part. And so I'd have to sit down and have to memorize so much. Now, the thing about me is I have a horrible memory, but my buddy Tyler has a photographic memory. And so we'd sit down, and I'd be, like, getting all comfortable, and I'd be getting out my vocab cards and my declension sheet and everything, and I'm ready to go. I'm getting comfortable. And literally, right when I get everything out, Tyler's packing up all this stuff. And he's like, okay, dude, I'm ready to go for the quiz tomorrow. I'll see you later. And I could not, for the life of me, be stoked for him because I'm going, dude, I've got to sit here for hours and hours to learn this stuff, and you're so lucky. And it was so hard for me to rejoice in Tyler's photographic memory, and that got under my skin, and I couldn't rejoice with him. Maybe at work, uh, you've been at this job for like three years, and then some other guy comes in, six months, gets a promotion over you. How hard is it to go and shake that man's hand with a smile on your face and say, hey, you're the right guy for this job. I'm really excited for you. That's tough. The small things. Maybe you've got kids. Maybe you've got kids, and you're kind of looking around at some other people's kids, and uh, they've got that sweet bumper sticker on the back of their car that says, hey, my student's an honorable student at at Creekside Middle School and you don't have one of those bumper stickers and you're looking over at Timmy and you're like dude get your thumb out of your nose 
thumb at your nose. Uh, and we can, we can compete and we look at other people. And it's hard for us to rejoice with those who are rejoicing and mourning with those who are mourning. And if someone's winning, we love to let people know that we're the 12-hour worker. It's that whole idea of like all the old people telling you, hey, back in my day, I used to have to walk 10 miles uphill both ways in the snow without shoes on just to get to the outhouse. You're just like, okay. It's that idea that we love to get across. We love to let people know. I had a buddy also at Biola. His name was Evan. I was a Bible major. Everyone knows that Biola, Bible's a tough major to go through. Evan was a film major. It wasn't that hard. I never saw Evan do an ounce of homework the whole time, but we both graduated. And I look at Evan, and I was just like, I'm stoked for you, bro. And me and Danny were talking about this, this, this message and kind of prepping for it, and I was going through it, and Evan got brought up. And so I told Evan this, or I told Danny this, and then I, and then I added this, and I said, yeah, but there's no way that Evan could have could have done what I did if he was in the Bible major program. Like, he couldn't have gotten away with that. There's no way. Uh, and so it's great that he did it with, with film, but he just couldn't have done with that. And had to add that in, and Danny kind of pointed out, he's like, it's interesting that you, that you had to kind of give that little footnote. You had to bring that out. They had to justify who you are and who Evan is. Um, and as we were starting to talk, it's literally in everything. We do this with everything. And we love to get attention. Uh, if you guys, maybe you guys are confused, I'm not Paul Kime. Uh, a lot of people think that I'm Paul. So I'll be walking around outside and someone comes to me like, Paul, that was an amazing set. Like, I love worship. And you just do such a great job. And I respond with, thank you so much. <laughs> awesome. And I'll do that every time. Now, if someone comes up to me and is disappointed in the worship set, which they never would be because, Paul, you're amazing. Uh, if they ever come to me like, dude, Paul, like, you weren't on tonight, I'll be like, I'm Pastor James. You want to take that up with Pastor Paul? Um, I'll share another one. This is getting a little bit deeper. Uh, we take our students, our middle school students, to Hume to camp every year. And, uh, and so this past year, uh, we weren't able to get the spots that we wanted. There's a little mix-up with the numbers, and so we, we got about half that we wanted. And so I had to be content with just taking 35 students. And so we get up to Hume. We're up there at camp, and... Uh, uh, we ha there's a time where, where Hume Lake lets all the, the youth pastors come together and just kind of meet each other and we encourage each other and get to kind of network a bit. And so we're meeting each other and everyone's saying, oh, hey, you know, what church are you from? Where, what area? And then this question comes up, how many kids did you bring? And so some guys, oh, I brought 50 kids. I brought 100 kids. And, and then it's getting to me and I'm just like, and, and I had to say, I was like, well, we brought 35 kids, but here's the thing, like, here's the deal. We didn't get the spots that we wanted. There's a little mix-up with the numbers, and so we actually had more kids on the waiting list than we actually wanted to come, and so next year I'm going to figure it all out, and I'll get it all, and I'll get it all fixed, and so, uh, and, and I had to add that for some reason, and you're probably going, I can't believe these are the youth pastors that we have, uh, but it is, and that's my heart. And maybe you guys, I hope you guys are relating with me and I'm not just like spilling my heart out here. And it's actually hard for me to say these things because I love to be prideful in pretending that I'm humble. I love that. And so when we're looking at this verse, uh, Romans 12, 15, it's saying, hey, rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Let's live in harmony with one another. Uh, we got to make sure we don't flip this. Because a lot of times we can rejoice when someone's mourning, and we can mourn with someone, or we can mourn when someone's rejoicing. And if that's how we live, 
we're going to live on two airs, two spectrums. Uh, we're either going to be prideful because we're going to rejoice with someone. We're going to rejoice when someone's mourning. When they're down the dumps, you're going, hey, that's what you get. That's what you deserve. You should have tried a little bit harder. Um, I can't really help you out. We're going to be prideful or we're going to be depressed. It's because then we're going to be uh, looking at ourselves based on other people and we're going to be looking at them and as they're rejoicing, life's going great for them, we're, we're, we're matching them up with us, we're going to be depressed. And those are our two options when we don't live in Romans 12, 15, rejoicing with those who rejoice and mourning with those who mourn. And so that's the first thing that really sticks out to me. The second thing that sticks out to me uh, is the cure to this cancerous way of life. And it's this. We are not God's employees. We're not God's employees. This is not a business transaction. This is scandalous. This is unfair. This is undeserved. This is unconditional grace. We don't earn it. We are not employees. Uh, Martin Luther, he was a monk back in the 1500s. And, uh, and this guy, as he was kind of looking at the church's teachings, and back then the church was much more works-oriented, and you had to earn your salvation. I um, mean, as he was looking at it and, and peering into scripture and meditating, and just, it didn't sit well with him. He was conflicted. And by the grace of God, uh, Martin Luther, um, reading in Romans, kind of rediscovered uh, the reality that uh, justification is by faith alone, that, that salvation is a gift from God, and there's nothing that we could do to earn it. And so he preached a lot of stuff, and he wrote down a lot of stuff, a lot of good, and he pushed the gospel, and he, he helped get the church uh, closer to right on the back track. Um, in his last dying day, the last thing he scratched onto a piece of paper was this phrase right here. We are all beggars. We're all beggars. One of my favorite bands is called Thrice, and they have a song called Beggars. And uh, I want to read it real quick. And it's inspired from Martin Luther's last word, and you can hear some Psalm 139 and some Isaiah 40 and some Job in it. So it says this. It says, All you great men of power, you who boast of your feats, politicians and entrepreneurs, can you safeguard your breath in the night while you sleep, keep your heart beating steady and sure? As you lie in your bed, does the thought haunt your head that you're really rather small? If there's one thing I know in this life, we are beggars all. All you champions of science and rulers of men, can you summon the sun from its sleep? Does the earth seek your counsel on how fast to spin? Can you shut up the gates of the deep? Don't you know that all things hang as if by a string over the darkness poised to fall? If there's one thing I know in this life, we are beggars all. All you big shots that swagger and stride with conceit, did you devise how your frame would be formed? If you'd be raised in a palace or live out in the streets, did you choose the place or the hour you'd be born? Tell me, what can you claim? Not a thing, not your name. Tell me if you can recall just one thing that's not a gift in this life. Can you hear what's been said? Can you see now that everything's grace after all? If there's one thing I know in this life, we are beggars all. Life is a gift. Salvation is a gift. It must be received likewise. 
No one is a 12-hour worker. None of us are a 12-hour worker. We all know Romans 6.23. It says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And Romans 4.5 says, and to the one who does not work but trusts God who justifies the ungodly, their faith is counted to them as righteousness. We are not employees. We are beggars that are elevated to the status of sons and daughters of God. We are orphans that are adopted into the family of God. That is great news, and that's the gospel right there. An amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saves a wretch like me. The person who cannot hear the sweet sound of amazing grace does not understand Jesus and does not understand his kingdom and what he came to do. And if grace does not melt our hearts, we are in for a very frustrated, insecure, distant from God, bland life. And Jesus, right after this parable, he says this. He ends with that statement, that rule of the kingdom, and he says, so the last will be first, and the first will be last, and then Jesus predicts his death. This is the king of the universe, predicts his death. He says this to his disciples. He says, we are going up to Jerusalem, and I will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn me to death, and they will hand me over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified, and on the third day, I will raise to life. That's what Jesus came to do. And he's saying, I am coming to lay my life down for you. And us trying to live good, enough to put God in our debt, that he owes us, that we deserve our salvation, is crazy. It's crazy. And maybe we wouldn't say this with our words, but our actions scream from the mountaintops that that's what we believe. It's like saying, hey, thanks God for, for sending Jesus to die on the cross for me. Like that was, that was really, really, really nice. And Jesus, thanks for going through that whole ordeal. Um, but I'm going to do this on my own. That's what it's like when we don't rely on the grace of God. The grace of God is a gift. We must receive it likewise. And that was me. Like I was so legalistic growing up. The whole time in the church, my dad was a pastor here. Uh, I served in the worship band under Paul and served in our, our student ministries and just loved serving, serving, serving. And I was like, I'm going to be a pastor. I can't wait to be a pastor. I'm going to go to Biola. And when I got to Biola, man, I was just burnt out and I was a shell. I was pretty dead spiritually. And I got there and by the grace of God, man, I met a lot of good buddies over there. And I got to spend some really great time with some awesome professors that I was able to just sit and just meditate and just think about the gospel and it was there that finally, like, all this knowledge, growing up, I knew, okay, for God's love of the world, they gave his one only son, that whoever believes in him will never perish, but have eternal life. I knew that up here, but it was at Biola, just a few years ago, that finally, like, that journey from my head went down to my heart, and it finally melted my heart, and I was like, oh, the gospel is grace, I don't have to earn anything. And so, knowing that, knowing that I don't have to earn, my spot with Jesus is freedom. And that's what Jesus is offering us, is it's freedom. It's grace. It's a gift. And now we don't have to follow Jesus 
uh, to earn his love. He loves us, and we follow him because of that. I'm always telling my little middle schoolers, like, we want to follow so close to Jesus that we're giving him flat tires all the time. If you don't know what flat tires when you step on the back of someone's shoe. And Jesus doesn't get annoyed at us by that. He loves us like crazy, and that's what he wants. And we want to follow close to him, and it's going to transform our hearts when we understand grace. That's what we want. I love Philip Yancey's description, how he describes and defines grace. He says this. He says, grace means there is nothing we can do to make God love us more. And grace means that there is nothing we can do to make God love us less. He infinitely loves us. He infinitely loves us. We are not employees of God. We are beggars that are elevated to the status of sons and daughters. May we always remind, remind ourselves of this and know this and rest in that and live in that and find hope in that and spread that. May we never preach a gospel that's contrary to what Jesus has done for us. And may we rest in that. In a second, we're going to come and we're going to take communion. And so I just pray that before you come down, you just kind of take an assessment of your life and just realize, Jesus, it's by grace. It's by grace that I'm saved. It's by what you did on the cross. It's by what you've done, not by what I do that I made right before you. Let me pray. Dear Heavenly Father, you are a good God that loves us like crazy. You love us to death and you proved it on the cross. And I just, uh, I just lift up everyone in this room and myself included that that's what we'd run after and we'd understand that. And that you'd transform us through that uh, powerful message. And I lift up anyone in here who does not know you and that if tonight they're feeling you calling, um, I pray that they'd give their heart to you as well. And if that's you tonight, I pray that you just pray a similar prayer like this and just say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I know there's nothing I can do to make me right before you. And that you came and you died on the cross for my sins in my place and you rose from the dead, defeating my sin and Satan and death. And, and I choose to follow after you with my life. And with every head bow and every eye closed, if that's you tonight, would you just raise up your hand so I could see you? Dearly Father, thanks for our new brothers and sisters in you. I just pray that as we take communion and that we keep worshiping you and music, um, that you'd be present and that it would be a sweet sound to your ears. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to hear additional 613 messages or you're interested in finding out more about Neighborhood Church, please visit our website at threecrosses.org. That's the number three crosses.org